All right, moms and dads, A.W. Tozer. Anybody know the name A.W. Tozer? Huh? Theologian, had some good things to say. Here's one of them. As you turn to Luke chapter 18 in your Bibles and Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is the main text. I will refer to Luke 18 in just a little while. A.W. Tozer said about humility, for the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Without it, there can be no self-knowledge, no, self re no repentance, no faith, and no salvation. Without humility, we would never come to God acknowledging our need. This message today uh, deals with the differences between legalism and grace, as well as pride and humility. And the one brings bondage, the other one brings freedom and subsequent joy. So we've been going through the, the book of Philippians, and we're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Hold your place in Luke 18 if you have that. Luke chapter 3, verse 1, whatever happens, dear brother and sisters, may, may the Lord give you joy. I never get tired of telling you this. I am doing this for your own good. Now, he says, God gives us joy. And in the construction here, it means literally it's a command, be glad. Be glad. God wants us to be glad. I was talking to someone just a few minutes ago at the beginning of the service and, and talking about uh, you know, things uh, don't always go the way that we want them to go, the way that we wish they would go. But you know what? Through all of that, we're supposed to be glad. We're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to realize that God is God in the storm. God is God in the battle. God is just always God. He is sovereign, and he's going to work his will in our lives. So he says here, be glad. And then Paul says, I never get tired of telling you this. I'm doing this for your own good. And what follows is a rebuke of pride the pride of the Jews, the subsequent boastings of the Jews. In verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Wait a minute. Watch out. How many have dogs? Let me see your hands. How many have dogs? How many lo love your dog? Yeah. I love my dogs. I got two little bitty uh, kind of dogettes. <coughs> They're not like full-grown dogs like some of yours. They're kind of dogettes. And I really, really like our dogs. They make me laugh. I have fun. I enjoy them. And here Paul saying, Watch out for dogs. Wait a minute. What, what is this all about? And this specifically is referring, uh, the, the term used, the word used, little dog. Watch out, watch out for the little dogs. And, and in the Jewish culture, they weren't really pets. The Jews didn't have dogs for pets. I don't know if they had cats. I don't want to get into that. We don't want to divide the congregation right now. We're just talking about dogs. He didn't say watch out for the cats, so we'll, we're not going to talk about that. Watch out for the dogs, little dogs. They, they wandered about, these, these little dogs, and they would forage for food and eat whatever, and they were often sick and dirty. They didn't take them to the vet. They didn't uh, take them to, to be groomed and all of that kind of thing, give them their shots. <coughs> so they were, they were unclean, literally. They were ritually unclean. They had habits that were repulsive to uh, the Jews, quite frankly, some of them that are repulsive to me. Uh, and, and so this word, watch out for the dogs, was one of contempt. And listen to this. Usually the Jews use this same word in reference to Gentiles. You and me, if we're not Jewish. Those dogs, those Gentiles, those unclean, those dirty individuals. Those, uh, and that's, that's what they thought of it. But here, Paul is saying of the Jews, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for them. And then he says those wicked men. And it means literally those bad, deceitful workers who labor at doing evil. They don't just do it accidentally. They work at 
being evil. And we've got, we've got a lot of people like that in the world today. And the third thing he says is their evil deeds, those mutilators, the cutting away, the mangling. The Jews were proud of their covenant relationship with God through circumcision. But here, the term is used sarcastically, and it's not even the same word. There are two different words, katatome and paratome. Circumcision was the paratome, and, and, uh, and it was ordained in the law of Moses and was used as a significant uh, spiritual indicator, a covenant relationship, uh, obvious covenant relationship, distinguishing God's people uh, from the heathen. And when the spiritual meaning is, is forgotten, then then it becomes catatomy, which is the cutting off, literally. And that's all I'm going to say about that. A mutilation, a butchering, a cutting away of the flesh that is of no value. So, so you don't necessarily see that in English, but in the, in the Greek, you see the difference there with the words that they use. And so he called them mutilators. They weren't just those who, who ritually performed circumcision. They were mutilators. They, they, were, uh, they were just uh, butchers. In fact, he calls them this, butchers, because uh, after, the, uh, after the coming of Christ, they taught the outward circumcision of the flesh was necessary for salvation, and it never was. Circumcision never saved anybody. Keeping Ten Commandments never saved anybody. It wasn't possible for anyone to keep the Ten Commandments. So this word uh, uh, that the apostle used not only depreciates the carnal circumstance, but also seems to allude to the uh, the, the manglings of the, of the flesh and manglings of the gospel even. So, so he's, he's warning them of not only the dogs, he's warning, warning them of, uh, of those who work hard at doing evil and of these wicked men, these manglers. So uh, in verse 3 he says, For we who worship God in the Spirit are the only ones who are truly circumcised. And that, that worldly, fleshly... Uh, was flesh was excised from our hearts when we got saved. We put no confidence, listen to that, we put no confidence in human effort, absolutely zero confidence in human effort. I'm glad you're at church today, but that will not get you one inch closer to heaven. If you tithe and give offerings, I'm thankful for that. That will not earn you one minute or second or nanosecond in heaven. If you're nice to little old ladies when you come, you know, helping them across the street, that's a good thing to do, but it's not going to earn favor with God. So we put no confidence, Paul says, in our human effort. Instead, we boast about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I'm going to tell you something. We could stay here all day and take turns and talk about the great things that Jesus Christ has done for every single one of us. I mean, he's amazing. Amen. He's absolutely amazing. The ways that he has worked in our lives, uh, we, Pat and I have been talking about that a lot uh, lately, uh, how that, you know, he, and just bringing us together and, and the way he's led in our lives and saving us and how her parents got saved in a tent meeting and how uh, because of her uncle who got saved first and took her parents and, 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 and the churches that we've been parts of and how God maneuvers and, and orders the steps of a righteous individual. It's just amazing. We're so thankful for the grace of God. So for us to boast on anything is just ridiculous. Uh, if, if we had our ways, we would be in a mess today. If we did what we wanted to do, we would be absolutely uh, beside ourselves. But Paul says, make no doubt about it, we boast about what Christ Jesus has done for us. Paul here indicates that the, the Jews worship uh, boasting and confident in their own flesh. 
<coughs> beginning in verse 12, Paul describes that boasting in the flesh is like, uh, is like with his provision or his privilege, rather, and his pedigree. He said, yea, I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. Okay? And he's not doing it. He's just saying if anyone should have confidence in their flesh and what they've done, that would apply to me. If others have reason for uh, confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, listen to this, I obeyed the law without fault. And we're going to say what he's meaning there in just a moment. But Paul here is warning of dangers of teachers who try to add to the, the works to their salvation and to the grace of God for salvation and those who boast in their own works. In other words, those who are spiritually proud. We ought not to say, you know, we are, we are so, we are Christians, we're above everybody else. We are Baptists, we are, we are so godly, we're so, you know what? Boasting in the flesh is absolutely wrong. Humility is the opposite of pride and arrogance. And we live in an era of pride and arrogance all the way uh, through our government, all the way in, in churches, all the way through uh, uh, congregations. I mean, in business world, maybe in the military. I don't know if you guys ever run into any arrogance and pride in the military. Maybe a couple of times, once or twice, a couple of you have. So it's everywhere. Paul is warning against that. And, and, and sometimes we equate humility with weakness, and that's a mistake. Humility is not weakness. Humility is recognizing and understanding that, uh, that any goodness in us is there because God has put it there. Any great things that we've done is because God has worked through us and giving all the praise, the honor, and the glory, and the credit to him and not assuming it for ourselves. That's, that's humility. Uh, the, the idea of Christ was humble, but he was strong. He could have called 10,000 angels. He wouldn't have had to. He could have whipped the entire Roman army instead of remaining on that cross and being crucified and dying. He could have come off that cross, smitten the whole of the Roman Empire, and it would have been over, folks. He was strong, but he was humble. He was humble to the point of death. He humbled himself. He put down his rights. He put down all of his, uh, all of his attributes. He didn't, he didn't excise them from himself. He still had those attributes, but he laid them down and didn't exercise them so that he could die on the cross, pay the price for our sins, rise again after three days, and secure our eternal salvation. So Paul is saying, watch out when people try to add anything to the grace of God for salvation, and watch out for those who boast in their own works. And then he says, if it were possible for people to do that, then he was the one who could have done it. Now, first point here, the apostles' serious warning Rejoice in the Lord. Paul had already written to them, uh, but he was doing it again here, saying it again. He starts off the epistle this way. He talks about rejoicing. That's why it's called uh, the, the epistle of joy. He keeps talking about rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He's talking about having joy in unity, how important it is for us to have joy in unity. The more unified you are in your home, the more joy will be present. The more unified we are in church, the more joy will be present. Look, you can't be dis out of unity and, and, and really happy. 
If you're, if you've, you're divided with, among people that you love and people you spend time with, people you work with, you're going to be a miserable person. So there's joy in unity. There's joy in adversity. That's kind of like a paradox. How can you be happy in the middle of adversity? And yet Paul here is writing this from a prison saying, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. There's joy in standing firm, holding forth the word of God. Uh, joy in ministry that uh, Ryan talked about last week, being able to serve God. I love serving God. If, I'm telling you, I, I, I would, I'm here because I love preaching, and I love helping people, and I love ministry. I just, I, just, I just love it. I just really do. I'd rather do that than, you know, if I could, if I could uh, uh, you know, take a world tour or preach, I, well, I'd do both. But, uh, <laughs> but if I had to choose one or the other, I'd just... Take preaching, because I, I love preaching that much. So joy in ministry. There's joy in all of that. Now, here he's writing. He's not angry. He's not bitter. He starts saying, watch out for this. Watch out for that guy. Watch out for those works. He's not angry or bitter, but he's bold and blunt. He had no tolerance for those who would infuse works into such a great salvation, and neither should we have. So he says, beware three times, and describes legalists. And, and what do we mean by legalists? Someone who adds something to the grace of God for salvation. That's a legalist, okay? I don't think we have any legalists in our church membership. I don't, I don't think we, we, we don't believe that we wash our sins away in the baptistry. That would be a work we do, but it, it's, it, we don't believe that does it. We don't believe we have to be good enough. We don't believe church membership saves us, but there are religions, there are denominations that absolutely teach if you want to go to heaven, it's great that Jesus uh, died on the cross and was buried and rose again, That's but, but you've got to do your part. And some of you came from churches maybe that taught that. So you had to do your part. You had to do your thing. So he says, uh, be, be careful of that. Be very aware of that because if you – we, we rode a train yesterday. We took my grandson out to Campo and, and rode that old diesel train, uh, and you, you got the engine, okay? And the engine is, sal- is, is the Lord's salvation. It, that's what pulls it. That's what moves it. That's what accomplishes any kind of progress at all. A, a car sitting there by itself will do absolutely nothing, nothing, unless it's hooked to the engine. So it's good to have the works, all these things hooked in, but it's the engine that moves it along. It's the, it's the engine. So don't add anything to it. It's not the coal car that provides salvation. It's not the caboose that provides salvation. It's not the mail car. We saw that. It, that's not what provides the salvation. It is Jesus Christ and him alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. Jesus Christ alone. So Paul says, beware of dogs. Uncomplimentary term used many times in the Bible. In Psalm 59, 5, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rise up, punish those hostile nations, show no mercy to traitors. They come at night snarling like vicious dogs that they may prowl the streets. Proverbs 26, 11. As this is, I'm sorry if this is as a dog returns to his vomit, thank you, uh, yes, uh, a fool repeats his folly. Second Peter 2, 22, and they make these proverbs come true. A dog returns to his vomit. A washed pig returns to the mud. Revelation twenty two fifteen. outside the city are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idol worshipers, and all who love a lie. Even Jesus referred to the term dogs. In Matthew 15, 26, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. He said, why should I bless you when, when I have my own children, my own nation to take care of? And, and of course, the lady made a plea, and he did go ahead and, and give her some. But in Philippians 3, 1 through 6, it's used to describe false teachers who were bringing legalism 
and attaching it to the gospel. Once you do that, you make salvation by grace through faith, you automatically make it an amalgamation with works. If you add anything, it automatically becomes amalgamated with works. And then your salvation, therefore, is by works. Don't do that. God doesn't regard false prophets. His watchmen were blind. They're ignorant. They're dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. That's Isaiah 56. So beware of those who would add anything to salvation. Secondly, beware of evil workers, those who teach something other than the true gospel. They're aggressive in doing so trying to secure their own salvation. I have tremendous admiration for the efforts that some people would put forth. I, I, I drive by groups of people by bus stops all the time, by trolley stops all the time. Uh, I drive by <coughs> people who are in our neighborhoods all the time. I mean, they're expending effort. They're working. They're working hard. They get out and maybe, you know, maybe 90 degrees and they're out with their umbrellas, but they're, they're going door to door to door to door, taking their message. But, uh, folks, it, it's not the right message. That's the problem. If works could secure it, they would put us to shame by their efforts a lot of time. But it's not through works. It's through the grace of God. How terrible for you it will be for teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. You cross land and sea to make one convert, then you turn them into twice the son of hell as you yourselves are. So the efforts themselves, the work themselves, doesn't, don't save anyone. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, the people are false apostles. They have fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then beware of the mutilators. And, and we talked here about that. So the second point is this. The apostles' spiritual worships, in, a, in contrast to the legalist, Paul describes the true worshiper in Philippians 3, 3. We worship God in the spirit who are the only ones who are truly circumcised. We put no confidence in human effort. Instead, we boast about what Christ Jesus has done for us. That's in contrast to the legalists, those who believe in grace salvation. The true worshiper responds to the God in spirit. God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's, you don't have to be here to worship God. You don't have to be in a holy place to worship God. The holy place is wherever you happen to be when you bow before Almighty God, when you recognize Him as the only Savior and the only Lord and the only God Creator, and, and you begin talking with Him and, and adoring Him and giving Him your praise and honor. You are worshiping Him wherever you might be. It can be in a car, you can worship God. It can be in a, a trolley, you can worship God. It can be in an airplane, you worship God. A lot of people worship God, especially if there's turbulence in an airplane. Uh, I, you can hear Him worshiping out loud uh, all around you. You can worship God at work. You can worship wherever you happen to be. Your body, if you are saved, becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is within you. And you communicate with him and worship him and thank him and, and bow before him wherever you happen to be. So he said we worship in spirit and in truth. The true worshiper rejoices in Jesus Christ alone, not in his own works. As for me, Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, my interest in this world died long ago, and the world's interest in me is also long dead. It doesn't make any difference now whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we really have been changed 
into new and different people. And the Bible says if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away, and all things become what? New. All things become new. The true worshiper refuses to trust in the flesh. Our deeds, no matter how noble, cannot merit salvation. The Pharisee and the publican. I'm so thankful. I'm spirit. I'm so thankful that I'm so good. I'm such a good guy. I'm glad I'm not like that. You know what? I say it again. I don't know that there's a sin that I cannot be guilty of. And I'm not trying to be falsely humble. I honestly know me. And I think there's probably not a sin that I couldn't commit. And so for me to look down my nose at someone else who is doing whatever it is and me judge them when I'm perfectly capable of doing that very same thing is absolutely wrong. Proud Pharisee stood by himself. I, you know, the, 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 the phraseology there, he stood by himself. God wasn't even there. I mean, when the Pharisee was praying this prayer, he was by himself. And he prayed, I thank you, God. I'm not as, uh, I'm not a, as others, as, not like a sinner. Like, I'm not like everyone else, not like this tax collector. And by way of contrast, the publican says, I'm not worthy to look up. I'm not worthy to even look in the face. I am a sinner. Be merciful, O God, to me. Tozer also said this. And, and, and this is, Tozer says things that I usually have to read about three times. <coughs> the first time, I don't get it. Second time, I start. Third time, it kind of comes together. There are two classes of Christian. The proud who imagine they are humble. <laughs> That's the first class. The proud who imagine they're humble, and the humble who are afraid they're proud. But he doesn't stop there. He said there should be another class. The self-forgetful who leave the whole thing in the hands of Christ and refuse to waste any time trying to make themselves good. They will reach the goal far ahead of the rest. So there are the proud who think they're humble, the humble who are afraid they're proud. But this third category, he says, is who we ought to really be. Just forget about trying to make ourselves better and realize it's all of Christ, it's all of God. He's the one who does good in our life. Third point is this, last point is this, the, the apostles' seven assets. If Now, Christ actually is the only person who's ever lived who's kept the entire law. Christ is Jesus Christ, the only person ever. But Paul says, you know what, I'm pretty good. If works were all that you need. I'm up there. And so <coughs> he, he lists his assets here. He says, first of all, I was circumcised on the eighth, uh, on the eighth day. So <clears throat> a sign of the covenant relationship of Israel with their God, given in Genesis 17 and in Leviticus chapter 12, Jesus fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. So he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the commands of the, of the law. Secondly, he says, I am of the stock of Israel. I was not a convert to Judaism. I was born into Judaism, and, and my roots are with the patriarchs. I've been a Jew since birth. Thirdly, <coughs> I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's the last of the 12 sons uh, born to Israel, born to Jacob, out of which came the first king of Israel and the aristocracy of Israel. Number four, he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was born of Hebrew parents. I speak Hebrew. I live by Hebrew customs. I was educated in the Hebrew tradition. I had Hebrew ancestry 
and I am Hebrew Orthodox in everything. He was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So number five, I'm a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. He said he, he was born of a Pharisee, and, and this is one of the strictest uh, sects of the, of the Jewish religion that there was, and he was a good Pharisee. Number seven or six or whatever it is, a zealous persecutor of the church. He said, I zealously persecute. I didn't just kind of go, but I, I was after that. I was a fanatic. I, I, the word for persecute here is in the present tense form, meaning he made it a lifelong pledge to begin and never to stop persecuting and harassing the church of Jesus Christ. I finished up finally uh, the, the Tortured for Christ bi- biography I was reading uh, by Richard Wormbrandt. It's, it's amazing if you haven't read that. It was released, I think, in the 60s originally, and it talks about the persecution he endured in Romania for simply preaching the gospel. It was an amazing book. Uh, and, and, and they were persecuted during the communist reign there in Romania, ruthlessly, as they were in, in uh, Russia and other places, of course. <coughs> but it, gives, it ought to give you an appreciation for the freedoms that we have to preach the gospel here and to believe what we believe. So he said, I was a zealous persecutor of the church, and then I was blameless before the law. He didn't say sinless. He said blameless. I was blame. In other words, nobody could accuse him of even breaking the Ten Commandments. They, they didn't know that he had broken the Ten Commandments. It wasn't recognized. So he was one who was blameless as far as accusation was concerned. He kept the outward rules of the law so well no one could find fault with him. That's what he meant. And, and all of that, and guess what? Until he was on the road to Damascus, he was still lost. Lost as a goose in a snowstorm, they say. If there was anyone who could boast, it was Paul. If there was anyone who had something to boast about, it was Paul. If there was anyone who had earned the right, it was Paul. If there was anyone who could be proud of his privilege and pedigree, it was Paul. The right ancestry, the right beliefs and orthodoxy, the right activities, the right testimony. But that is the point in that Condition, he was unacceptable to God, and so are we. We say, preacher, we, we don't claim that kind of stuff. No, you know what we say? We say, well, I was baptized as a baby, so I must be a Christian. And I, I, I attended uh, catechism, and, and I, got my, I got my certificate at home, so I must be a Christian. Or I went to Christian school. <coughs> graduated from Christian school, I joined a church, joined a couple of different churches, or I had my first communion, so I must be a Christian, or I, I pray every day, I'm a good person, I, I don't commit adultery, I don't, I don't rob banks, I, I, I give money to the needy, I read the Bible, I try not to break the Ten Commandments, I don't cuss, smoke, drink, or chew, or run with the girls that do, so I, I'm, I must be on my way to heaven. I'm a Christian because I'm a pretty good guy. You know people like that. Maybe you are a person like that. And if you are, then this warning is for us. Don't boast in your own work. Don't boast in what you're doing. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. Salvation is of grace. How's your walk with the Lord? How's your, how are you trusting God? Are you trusting him for eternal salvation and only him? Or are you trusting what you do, what you say, how you live? Would you bow your heads with me? Faith and works, two different things. Faith in what Christ has done works because we're saved, not in order to get saved. Big difference. Pride, humility. 
thankful for what God has done, humble, realizing we couldn't even begin, we couldn't even get to the pearly gates with our own works and our own ability. Our Father in heaven, I pray your blessings upon this congregation. Lord, and I don't know, I don't know if there's someone here who maybe is trusting their works or they've been taught to trust their works. They think because they have certain beliefs or they're living a certain way that, that they're going to heaven and that's all that's sufficient. But Lord, I pray that you would show us all today, convince us all today that salvation is by and through only Jesus Christ, your son. That he's the only one who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again on the third day. And Lord, I pray that people would be willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ right now, trusting him and him alone. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to receive Christ as your personal Savior, would you pray this prayer right where you're seated? Would you pray, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to die one day and be in your presence. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again on three, after three days. And I want to confess him with my mouth and believe in him with my heart. And you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today, right now, where I'm seated, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Take away my pride. Help me to trust you and you alone for eternal salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, would you raise your hand up and keep it up for just a moment? I just prayed that prayer, preacher, right now. Keep your hand up for just a moment. We want to give something to you right over here. Gary. Yep. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah. Anyone else? Our Father, we're so grateful, so thankful for your love for us. We pray your blessings, Lord, upon this congregation today. We pray, God, that you would go with us, that you would help us to, to be the light, salt of the earth that you want us to be, but help us to go humbly realizing that, Lord, we trust you for every need that we have. We are absolutely dependent upon you. We can't get there on our own. Father, forgive us for our sins and bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, would you stand as we stand together? I'm going to ask Fitz uh, to come right over here. Guys, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need trust Christ, if you need to join the church, you want to get baptized, come and tell Fitz about that. Rachel and my wife are right over here. So come on over here, ladies, and do whatever it is that God is leading you to do right now. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Come on right now as the praise team leads us in a verse. All to Jesus. I surrender. All to him I freely give. We owe him everything. Come on, right now. Surrender to him today. Give it to him right now. I surrender all, all to thee, my 
Listen, every head be bowed. One more verse just for you as the praise team leads us. Come on right now. God speaking to your heart. Listen to him. Obey him right now. You're among friends. We love you. We're going to pray with you. Let us help.